And hello, everybody. Welcome to episode seven of the Cast, the Con podcast. Today, Sam and I are talking to Tom Pace, CEO and co-founder over at NetRise. We're going to be talking about some cool stuff around the relevance of college degrees in the cybersecurity industry. We're going to talk about some gaps in the industrial control systems that Tom saw, which brought up the founding of NetRise. And we're going to be talking about his part two to his last year's popular talk that he did at HughesetCon. And we're hoping there's a part three and a part four. So don't miss out on this one. And before I let you go to get into the rest of the podcast, we are sold out of tickets. And I know in the podcast itself, Sam says that we have only a few left, but we're actually sold out. But we want you to keep coming to listen to this. To this podcast we want you to get ready for next year get excited for next year because we're going to have more room and we'll have more information about that in later podcasts but yeah we're sold out folks hope you got your ticket so now without further ado sam and i talking to tom pace over at netrise and we are back with another episode of HughesetCast. sam how are you sir I am doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Just been busy. Uh, we're getting down to the final hours here for HUSECON. So, uh, man, it's a lot of stuff going on. Oh, man, there is. Yeah. And we are very, very close to selling out. So yeah, uh, that is, you know, it's usual, but usually that doesn't happen until like maybe a week or two before the conference and and we're already there. So it's uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, no, I'm excited. It's a it's a good problem to have. We're going to keep selling tickets, and we're going to grow this puppy next year and get even more people in the door. But before we go into everything about HuseCon, I want to introduce Tom Pace. Tom is the co-founder and CEO of NetRise. How you doing, man? Doing great. Good to see you guys. Happy to be here, and thanks for having me. You're up in uh, Austin, so how's the weather up there? It's great. You know, everybody complains about how hot it is. Like, how you deal with the heat, Tom? And I go, it's I have a really good trick. It's called staying indoors and working 18 hours a day. (laughs) You know, they're like, how do you deal with the heat? It's like, well, I only experience it when I get out of my car and walk into the gym. So it's not that hard. There you go. That's what air conditioning's for, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, just turn it on and God bless. God bless the inventor of air conditioning. Boy. Absolutely. So let's get into the HUSETCON segment. Before we get in the news and start talking about all things Tom Pace and what he's going to be presenting, we'll get into a little bit about HughesetCon. So, Sam, you already talked about we're close to selling out. So that's, again, a good problem to have. Those of you who are about getting ready to go, this is not the most exciting stuff, but there are some logistical things we have to talk about. You'll get this. If you've already got your tickets, you'll get this on your uh, ticket. You'll get some information, but also on the website, uh, look at parking. The parking situation is is downtown Houston. Uh, it's not horrible, but there are some good parking options for you to have on the website. And that's got the resources tab on there. We'll give you all the information about where you should park, where you can park around there. There's valet parking and all of that good stuff at the uh, hotel as well. We do have some uh, validation, like partial validation stuff at the hotel. It won't pay for your parking, but it, you, when you go register, there'll be a little a little ticket stamper there and you can get some validation 
So uh, remember that again, not, not the most fun thing to talk about, but something you need to remember. And if you don't have a hotel yet, we've got hotels around there, information on hotels around the venue and then uh, happy hours and dinners. So we've got to this point and Sam, I remember being very excited about the first time I saw one of our sponsors walking around, handing out those little, Hey, come to our happy hour thing. I was like, Hughes Con has arrived. That, that's, that's big time. So now it's a pretty regular thing, right? Yeah. And I'll say coming of age too, right? We also had that fishing attempt and we, but we both have had fishing attempts <laughs> uh, recently at our Husik on email addresses, which is fantastic. That makes us very proud, right? But the, yeah, to, to your point on parking too, little uh, secret on the behind the hotel, there is an open lot that tends to be a little less expensive. But to your point, there is, when you say validation, just to be clear, it's actually a discounted parking option. If you do park in the garage, that's adjacent and connected to the event, right? Yes. Yeah. We're not validating all of downtown. And again, it's discounted, not completely valid. Yeah. Uh, and yes, we did get a business email compromise um, email come in asking for ACH information. And it was supposedly from our program director, Lauren, and it was not from her. So it was very interesting. But to your happy hour thing too, real quick, just because it, mm -hmm. it started with the one. And now last year, I think there was probably five that I could count off the top of my head that I remember. And there were a few dinners that were happening. So part of it is that passport card we have anyway with, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in another episode, but go buy the vendors and see what's going on. Get some free drinks, get some free food. You know, that's, it's there. And so it's really exciting to see. Yeah. Go, go see them. And then they're, they're going to be, uh, if you go see them, well, let's go ahead and talk about the passport really quick. If you get on the, you get the passport, if you're an attendee, you go see all of the vendors, all the sponsors, and you get the little stamp on your passport. If you stay at the, to, all the way through, through the last day, through closing ceremonies, we every year do a prize giveaway. And it's a bunch of prizes that the vendors have. And then we have a couple of prizes as well. And I won't give up what those are, but um, definitely good prizes. Stick around all the way through, go see your sponsors. That's why they're there, man. They keep ticket prices low. They make it possible. So go see them. All right. Well, with that, we will get into the news segment. So I chose this article, so I'll say why I thought it was interesting, and then I'll, we'll get kind of a discussion going on here about it, because I think I think Tom has some interesting anecdotes to this. So the article is from Cyber News, and it's entitled, Experiment IT Companies Eager to Hire Self-Taught Pros. So basically what the article is about is, is asking whether and it depends on how you look at it. it could be kind of a straw man, but whether being self-taught or having a degree is more important. And what it kind of goes into is also just experience in general. So what they mean by self-taught is you go out and you look at YouTube videos, you go out and find other resources, you figure out how to do a job in cybersecurity development or whatever by getting self-taught and having experience then in wherever you go and not having a degree to back you up. So is that important? Is that degree more important or is the self-taught and the experience more important? And it has different views from different types of people. So what I thought it was interesting was you had one group that were trainer, one guy who was a trainer who thought that they don't really think that what he said was book smarts is important, is as important as being able to just be able to learn a concept yourself. Or another group in here was the recruiters. They said they valued diplomas 
even though that wasn't the only thing you had to have and it wasn't necessarily what they called a passport. I thought that was interesting because I do see a lot of recruiters, their clients, if they're talking to the HR department, the HR departments a lot of times have kind of a gate there. If you don't have a degree for a higher level job, then you just can't even get through. So it's it seems like an interesting take from a recruiter standpoint because they kind of they see that more than anybody else. And then you had another guy in here who was like, look, I don't even have a degree requirement anywhere on my website for any of the jobs we have posted and I never will. And whoever was writing the article, they went through and looked and sure enough, they didn't have any. And those were high paid, high skilled jobs. So I thought it was interesting. It's always this back and forth in our, and I think probably a lot of industries, but definitely in our industry on whether you should have a degree, whether some of that formal training that you get from a degree is important. Myself, I don't think you have to have a degree. I have a degree, but it's not in my, it's not in cybersecurity, it's in business. I didn't get taught any concepts in security in school. When I was going to school, there was no cybersecurity degree program anyway. So so anyway, interested in what y'all think. Tom, I know you had kind of an interesting anecdote from, from NetRise, so I'd like to hear your take on it. Yeah, you know, I've never been short on opinions. I'm no, no different here, I suppose. I think that I'm a bit of a dichotomy here, right? I have four college degrees, but what I recognize is Absolute, certainly, degree is not required in this space. That's just an objective truth. That's not really even an opinion. The only place where a degree matters, in my opinion, whenever you're looking to hire someone, is their first job. And even there, it's matters. It's not the only thing that matters. Once you've had a job in cybersecurity, I don't care at all if you've went to college or not. But if you've never had a job in cybersecurity, I have to have something. <laughs> I have to be able to establish some baseline of intelligence or capability, right? So after that, I, I, I just don't care at all. It doesn't matter to me. You can uh, be a big participant in CTFs. You can have certifications. You could have done research on your... There's just a million things you could have done, right? Uh, we just interviewed a guy who currently works at Apple, doesn't have a college degree. Newsflash. I think he's technically competent. And so, you know, the other, the funny joke I make all the time, which frankly isn't a joke, even though people laugh about it is I have four college degrees. My co-founder has zero. And trust me when I say he is at least four times smarter than I am. Now that is no exaggeration. I didn't just get four degrees because I was bored. I did that because I enlisted in the Marine Corps and I used and abused the GI Bill to which I would also say, don't join the military to get a free college <laughs> education, guys. I mean, it's a, if you want to go be a lawyer or something, maybe that makes sense, right? If you want a job where a degree is absolutely required, right? Then, then fine. Like that's your only path, right? Doctors, lawyers, accountants to some, uh, to some extent, like there are jobs where that is the requirement and that's fine. And I also think that there are people who just have, I mean, I don't even think this, I know this, that people have different learning styles and sitting in a classroom and being forced to like do this homework, read this book, take this test, write this paper, finish these labs is what some people need. I'm kind of one of those people, right? My co-founder, on the other hand, you give him an internet connection and a free hour and he'll do something that would take my entire lifetime to do, right? So that it's just different and there's no real right answer. But this idea that we that everyone should have a degree is just... I've never heard an argument, a convincing one for someone to say to me, like, you absolutely need a job here. If you go on our website, um, I don't even know if we have a careers thing up anymore because we're all hired up right now, but we call out, we say all the time, like four degree 
uh, education or equivalent work experience, right? It doesn't it just doesn't matter to us at all. So I, I do not subscribe whatsoever to college education being a mandatory requirement in cybersecurity or tech. My perspective, I have a degree in mechanical engineering. I don't use it obviously anymore, but it was a path to get me to where I am today, uh, more from what I do today, but, and the technical aspect helps, but I also did this in a country where it was more of a apprenticeship type program than it was a be in school every, you know, every day of the week. So I had two days of school. I had three days of work for four years and I walked out with a degree and had a blast doing it. That was my learning method. That's the way I can learn. Cause I'm very hands-on. If I don't, if I can't touch and feel theory does nothing for me, I can read. That's great. I can look, but, but I am not good at, I'm better at group things. I'm, you know, when I'm learning. So part of this is learning style too. Not everybody's cut out to do college. Not everybody can afford college. You can't go to a college and spend over a hundred thousand dollars at a cheap college, right? Get a bachelor's and that, that may not be the fit for you. It may, you may not be able to afford it, right? Certifications are another good route, right? You can do certifications that helps at least show recruiters that, Hey, you're on the route and you have something, especially when you're talking about that first job, it will make it harder a little bit. But it's also getting better. And I think like articles like this show, reflect that we are changing our attitudes towards it, right? And so we need to continue doing that. Arguably, how many millions or whatever we're missing in the field for cyber that we need, you can't gatekeep everybody, make everybody go get a college degree to join the fight, right? And I think that's a piece that people are starting to realize we're missing, not to mention the cyberspace, as you guys know is very niche. Like you can do different things. You can be, you know, into reverse engineering of malware. You can be into, you know, network monitoring or endpoint, or there's all kinds of different disciplines, GRC. There's all kinds of other things that you can do with that, depending on your interest level. So trying to pigeonhole everybody. And and to your point, Michael, like the cybersecurity programs didn't exist until maybe what, six, seven, eight years ago, something like that. And now we're seeing more of those pop up in universities, but even there, you still need to focus on where you want to be right on, on your niche program. So you don't want to put the handcuffs on something just because they don't have the degree. I just looked up an article, Tim Cook from Apple said Mm. half of Apple's U.S. employment last year was made up of people who did not have a four-year degree. There you go. And for a company of that size, I mean, essentially the biggest market cap, I think of any company in the world. I mean, it's like Apple's doing okay. They're doing all right. They're doing all right. Well guys, yeah, there's a lot to be said there. And uh, obviously this goes longer than our normal news segment because it is such a passionate argument and conversation. I will say we've talked about this before, but we're building the tab foundation, tab cyber foundation within HUSECCON specifically for this to give people who do not either can't afford or don't have the typical learning style of going to a higher education, but want to be able to get into cybersecurity through the certification route. And you'll see this all at the conference if you come to the conference as well. We're raising money for kids who don't normally have that route and have that choice, underprivileged type, underserved communities, and then veterans who are trying to get out. I talked to a couple of veterans just yesterday who uh, went into cyber through special programs right out of retiring 20 years in the military and now are in cybersecurity through different training programs, things like that. So we're trying to do that as well. So be on the lookout for more news. That's on our website as well. If you want to think about contributing to that, it's a, we're, we're hoping it's going to have a huge impact in the industry. So, all right, guys, well, let's jump into a quick break. And then on the other side of the break, we'll get into the main segment. We'll talk to Tom 
about his background and what he's going to be talking about at HUSECCON this year's. Mr. Thomas Pace, you and I have met not that long ago, actually. As we started talking, I really got interested in your background and what led you to starting NetRise. So if you would, uh, just a quick intro to what NetRise does and then talk about why you saw this as a problem based on you know the experience you had in the industry and why you kind of launched this to try to take care of some of this stuff. Yeah, so... I've done a handful of things in, in in my career, but the two sets of experience that really drove the ideation for what we're doing in NetRise were my time at Department of Energy, where I did a number of things, but primarily the focus on industrial control system security, where I was tasked with helping to determine the impact of various vulnerabilities and risks against our ICS devices, where I quickly realized we basically had no technical capability whatsoever to answer those questions in any kind of meaningful way. So manually reverse engineering things and or reaching out to the device manufacturers were less than effective solutions, not scalable, not consistent, not repetitive, all of those kind of things. Then I went on to a company called Silence where I basically oversaw, I also did a number of things, but specifically here, oversaw IoT firmware and embedded system engagements where we were basically doing that kind of work for very large device manufacturers, automotive, ICS, medical devices, satellites, you really name it. And so it was just very obvious to us that there was just a massive gap in terms of the visibility and transparency that exists as it relates to these devices. And frankly, just the entire supply chain in general is just something that the industry as a whole does not have good visibility into. We just, we just don't. And whenever people say, yeah, yeah, we do. I say, okay, well then why are we using software components from 24 years ago? And if people say like, well, I knew about that. Then I say, then you should just not have a job anymore. So having the actual data and now being able to make decisions on that data is, is really what we're, we're driving towards. So Tom, can you talk a little bit about when you launched, first of all, your timing of launch is questionable given the, the global pandemic that was going on, et cetera, from what it looks like. Uh, you certainly had some challenges, but has some good funding and have a good route. Like from that perspective, what has it been like in terms of growing that company through that and through the you know the past few years? Undeniably, the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life by orders of magnitude. And people were like, you were in two wars, Tom. And I was like, yeah, those had a very clear path. Like I know what I needed to do and I could go and do that. I wake up every day and the set of circumstances change totally outside of my control. You know, market conditions change. This budget is now gone. We don't care about this. This government regulation is now here. Now we're in a continuing resolution. Like now we're in a recession. Now, I mean, just totally insane sets of circumstances that I cannot control whatsoever, uh, which is evidenced by everybody else, you know, basically suffering the same fate. But uh, all of that being said, you know, the tailwinds that are pushing us from a software transparency perspective, from an SBOM perspective, from secure by design being driven by CISA, from uh, multiple pillars within the national cybersecurity strategy and the national cybersecurity implementation plan that have been put out by CISA just this week. The, I forget exactly what it's called, the like CISA open source security program or strategy just got released where they basically are talking about, we need to understand where specific components are and what the prevalence of them is across the entire supply chain ecosystem. 
which is a question we just cannot answer right now. We cannot. So there's a desire, there's a drive, there's just a massive opportunity here. You don't get to pick necessarily all of the, how all the market conditions are going to react. I don't think a whole lot of people expected us to be in the position we still are in. It is true that I decided to start this thing in December of 2020, like a total maniac, but I didn't expect it to last this long in terms of the headwinds that we're going into from an economic perspective, right? And at some point, like you just can't operate a business that way. I mean that on both sides of the coin, right? I have to ignore the market conditions to some to some degree, right? I can't change them. So I have to figure out a way to exist within those market conditions and adapt a company to exist in that way. And yet on the other side of that is if there's not a market where people are transacting, you can only adapt so much, right? Yeah. And and we're doing that and we're surviving and we're hiring people and it's going fine. But I mean, it is to call it easy. You know, I would love to talk to the the founder or CEO right now who wakes up every day and goes, what a walk in the park this is right now. Because I just <laughs> do not think that is the case. No, I was talking to a uh, a guy who's raising money for a fund, a new fund, and it's not just cyber. It's uh, outside of cyber as well, but it's all SaaS vendors. And his take was in some ways for, and we don't have to get into a big equity and that big conversation, but he said in some ways it's easier right now to vet companies yeah. because people who are getting as a startup, you're either absolutely bat crap crazy for doing it and your product's going to go away really quickly or you've got something that's yep. really hitting on all, and people are going to do something with it. They're going to buy it. He said it before when the money was easy, it was like everybody and their brother would have a startup and they would just, you know, throwing anything against the wall to see if it would stick. But most people aren't doing it now. So it's, it's interesting from their side, raising the funds and all of that stuff that have it for being able to invest is a whole nother thing because it's just not as cheap. But um, I do think from your perspective, that's why when I first found out about you, I think it was a post from either JJ guy or Greg Martin or somebody they had, they were doing stuff with you. I was like, I, I got to see what in the world's going on. I mean, that was my job too, was to look at startups. But when you and I started talking and I'll, I'll say, look, this isn't a sponsored podcast, right? Tom's not paying to be here. He's going, but I, couldn't afford it if I needed to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're very expensive. Our uh, podcast sponsorships are way out there. No, it, I and have seen the progress from when I first started looking at what you were doing to the last time I got a demo to look at what you the progress has been phenomenal. You got great people doing the development behind you. You got people thinking about all the different aspects of how you're going to tackle this problem. It's it's been amazing to see the progress. I'm really impressed by what you guys have put together and you got some good people behind you backing it up. So I really appreciate that. I tell people all the time what I am most proud of, and this will never change no matter what happens at this company. I don't care if we become a hundred trillion dollar company. The thing I would be most proud of forever is the team that we built. Yep. It's just a team of absolute killers. And it's a I love being the not smartest guy at the company. It's a wonderful thing. And yeah. just looking around and being like, man, it, it's just a really incredible feeling to just be surrounded by people who are all better than you. It's great. You can get a good team, man. It makes a lot of difference. Yep.
you had mentioned, you know, secure by design and the S bomb space and all that stuff. And for me, feeble mind, I think of, you know, when vulnerabilities started to become a thing, right. And putting my engineer hat, when I talk about when, you know, whether it's cyber informed engineering or secure by design, things like that, you know, I think about a ground up effort. So if I am designing something new, if I have something new, I am designing it from the very ground up to be secure. This is also something in the application space where Farnham and I had some experience together back in the day where same thing, you don't teach coders to code securely, you teach them to code, right? And, you know, same thing with an effort like this, you have to teach engineers to understand security, right? So sort of two threads you can go down with this kind of comment slash question, it is a question, where do you think you start with something like this? Because it's one thing to find the vulnerabilities and find, you know, things that are bad, but how do you go back essentially not saying back in time, but how do you correct the issue? Because even with vulnerabilities, as we are still struggling today, after decades of doing it, you know, how do you go through a vulnerability programs effectively? And I, and also I have to make the sidebar comment, I'm in the ICS space. So, you know, there yeah. is a different element there, but you're know, generally speaking, what, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. So, I mean, there's always going to be like edge cases, especially when you talk about things like ICS, automotive, medical devices that have like the safety critical component where like regression testing is a very important thing. I find it very fascinating whenever organizations that have safety critical devices and systems say things like it's hard, huh? Like that, oh, that's the barrier. I'm sorry. So we do not have a vulnerability management problem. That's not the problem that we have. The problem that we have is when I, when we unpack devices and firmware and artifacts, and I see software components from 25 years ago. And then in the same breath over here, I have people talking about secure by design. I go, that's not exactly what's happening. The only way to do secure by design is to, to do it. And that requires starting from scratch in some respect, right? We have data that is undeniable that highlights that vendors are using Linux kernels and components that are decades old. Like that's just a fact. And so Whenever they want to say, we have a security by design mentality here. No, you don't. No, you don't. And, and, and listen, I'm not responsible for the go-to-market and business risk strategy at device manufacturers, right? They don't, it's not my job. If they decide to build a device that's using components that are a decade old, that's totally fun. Like, you know, a time to market is more important than secure to market. That's very clear. However, if we are going to do this and we say we're going to do it the right way and we say we're going to care about it and all of those things, there's really no other way to do it than to kind of start from scratch in some respects, right? Like the, uh, here's a great example. If you look at, I mean, frankly, there's a two, two of Elon Musk's companies, right? Tesla and SpaceX, right? Why is it so obvious? It's like painful. Elon Musk did a like some committee, it was Boeing versus him. Boeing had an army of people behind them, right? Some finance guys, some engineering guys, some whoever guy. And on the SpaceX side, it was just Elon. And basically they were talking about how Boeing gets a $2 billion subsidy. They're using rockets from using technology from the 1970s that are manufactured in Russia, like blah, 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 blah. You'll never believe it. When you start a company in the year 2000 something, and you're using components from this century, they happen to be more efficient. It's revolutionary <laughs> is what it is. 
And then you don't need a $2 billion subsidy from the federal government because you're actually manufacturing the things in the United States. You don't have to ship a rocket from Russia that's utilizing 1970s technology. So the really thing I try to spend a lot of time and pointing out to people is by having visibility into our supply chain and now being able to make decisions around, should I use a component from 10 years ago? Can we imagine a scenario where a component that's brand new and not 15 years old has other capabilities and features that we may be interested in? Separate, totally separate and apart from security, by the way, totally separate and apart from that. That's just, this actually is not a cybersecurity problem the more and more we get into it, in my opinion. It's the benefit of using components that are not ancient. Security is just a byproduct of that. That's just an ancillary benefit, frankly. And so same thing with Tesla, right? When they, they've verticalized their entire supply chain. They're not reliant on the Bosch's and Panasonic's and Philips and all of these other companies that they have to manage, all of this like downstream third-party risk, which allows them to move much, much faster, sell more cars, streamline their manufacturing process, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? That these legacy vendors, GM and Audi and whoever, you're playing on two different sets of rules. And that realization needs to happen to the industry. And I don't know, I don't know if, if I'm going to be the catalyst for it or not, but I'm but it won't be for lack of trying. I'll yeah, let's say you're you're definitely trying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I saw I literally saw a conversation the other day and somebody asked, What's an unpopular opinion you hold in cybersecurity? And somebody mentioned the secure by design argument. And it was like, we shouldn't even be having any of these conversations because we should have just designed everything securely in the first place. It's like, well, yeah, but that cat's kind of out of the bag, right? It's not yeah. something that you're going to get back in unless, to your point, you just start building. It, it was an extreme. Now, I mean, even then, people find ways around things. That's what hackers do. So, well, I think, well, and to your point there on that, like, it's at some point, if you, you want to try to from the ground up, you may think you have something secure. 10 years from now, somebody's going to figure out how to break it anyway. Right. So, it's a constant constant momentum thing right we live in an imperfect world right i mean things aren't made perfectly even if you design them securely but well tom we don't have a whole lot of time left so i do want to and i think some of the what you talked about is a good segue into what your talk is going to be about at the conference um so why don't you give us kind of your title and your premise there it's really a follow-on talk from last year so last year i did a talk around the number of vulnerabilities that exist in ICS and OT devices as compared to think like what's in the national vulnerability database or what is our expectation in terms of the number of vulnerabilities that exist on a device uh, versus what is reality. And that reality is a stark one to say the least. So basically I'm doing the same talk, but totally ignoring CVEs. I'm talking about all of the other risks that exists within a device that are not tracked in the NBD. Things like weak credentials, misconfigurations, mm-hmm. the availability of private keys that exist, all of the other things that are not tied to a CVE, but yet are risks and technically are vulnerabilities, just not in the vein of how we talk about them in cybersecurity, yeah. right? Yeah. Vulnerability has a very specific meaning for us. So whenever I talk about, I call it non-CVE risk, basically. And so that's what I'll be talking about at the conference is let's just imagine in a fantasy world, 
where a device comes out and it has zero CVEs, right? That'd be great. Does that mean it's without risk? Obviously not, yeah. right? I mean, we can talk about all the obvious things in ICS and OT, like insecure protocols and no authentication and plain text this and plain text that. Like those are all real things, right? And those are worth talking about. The, the credential problem is massive. Identification of backdoors, even if you do have secure communication over encrypted protocols, is the private key to enable that encrypted communication on the device? And if it is, is it secure in any way? And the answer to most of those questions is no, no, no. So I'm going to be highlighting a lot of those issues that we've identified in these devices that operate in these environments and networks. Gotcha. It reminds me like OWASP top 10 type of yeah. point, right? Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Here are the big things that we have to deal with because this is a thing. It does not mean somebody configured or created a bad module or whatever. So I got you. Well, good. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, last year, your talk was extremely popular. Um, this should be the same. Um, we're really excited to have you back. It's cool to have you, you know, cl as close as you can be in Texas, because everybody's still pretty far apart, but um, you're only a couple hours down the road. So it's good to have you coming back. I just as a thing that Sam and I and Lauren and everybody that's involved in HughesetCon are talking about all the time is having startups based in Texas. I mean, we'd love to have every one of them based in Houston, but Texas is a great place to have startups. And we've had that discussion with a, another startup guy. So we'd love to have that discussion with you in, in the future as well to dig into kind of what we talked about earlier, which is more of your startup experience in Texas and how this place can be a, a big cyber hub it doesn't have to be all in California, right? So, yeah, I mean, Austin has really taken off, obviously, yep. as a startup hub. I mean, you have CrowdStrikes here, which isn't really a startup anymore. You know, you have Halcyon, you have Hidden Layer, you have mm -hmm. Nudge, you have Ghost. I mean, there's a boatload of very well-respected startups here, of which, you know, I, I suppose I would humbly add ourselves to that list at this point. Yeah, So you absolutely, absolutely. qualify. Yeah. Well, Tom, thank you very much for jumping on. Excited about your talk coming up. Good to, good to see you. Shake your hand. Been a little bit. So any parting thoughts? No, just really looking forward to it. It was, it was a great conference last year. Yeah, we filled up the room. It was very fun. Got a lot of really good crowd interaction and all of that. So um, I'm looking forward to it. I like getting up there and, you know, running my mouth as I tend to do. <laughs> that's good. That's what we need. Okay. That's what we're that's what we're expecting. I won't let you down. <laughs> <laughs> I've never known you to. <laughs> All right, man. Good to see you. Appreciate it. Sam, uh, any parting thoughts on your side? Yeah. The same one as always. Get your ticket before they're out. Almost there. Get her done, man. We are growing. I'm very excited about it. And if you don't get your ticket, Sam and I every year just kind of go, well, sorry. <laughs> Try again next year. I mean, I hate that not everybody can't attend, but it is what it is. So only got so much room. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode. And we will see you probably maybe on one more talk on a podcast, but we may not see you until the actual conference. We're trying to figure those logistics out. So either way, we will see you soon. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. This has been a HughesetCon production. HughesetCast Cast is hosted by Michael Farnham and Sam Van Ryder, with production and editing by Lauren Lynch. Our music is by August Honey. 
The views and opinions expressed in this show are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of any entities that they represent. This show is for informational purposes only and does not render or offer to render personalized advice. Subscribe now so you never miss an episode. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook at HughesetCon. And you can learn more about the conference or buy tickets at HoustonSetCon.com.